Welcome to the podcast of the Sunday morning worship service of the Heartland Church of the Nazarene. We're a community of faith learning to love God and our neighbors as ourselves. Welcome home. Today's sermon text is from Genesis 12, 1 through 9. The passage will be on the screen for you, or if you like, please turn to Genesis in your Bible. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Abram took his wife Sarai and his brother's son Lot and all the possessions that they had gathered and the persons whom they had acquired in Haran, and they set forth to go to the land of Canaan. When they had come to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land uh, to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Morah. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he moved on to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and invoked the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on by stages toward the Negev. Thank you, Sam. That's the uh, word of the Lord for us this morning. Well, we have been, um, we've been taking a journey through the book of Genesis, and um, it has been an interesting book, to say the least. Um, if you're familiar with it at all, uh, you will know that um, it ends up asking a lot more questions than we generally end up answering. Um, and uh, I love that about the Bible and about the book of Genesis um, because I love exploring questions about the way things are and how they came to be. Um, and, and I love even a little bit uh, residing in a mysterious place without truly fully comprehending or understanding um, what's going on. I think for me, at least, in those places is where I develop a little bit more of a, a, of a faith, of imagination maybe, of what is possible um, when God begins to work in the world. Well, we've, we've looked at uh, the story so far, and um, we saw Adam and Eve and the creation of the world, and we saw Adam and Eve's sin and brokenness and destruction enter the world. Uh, we saw that, that Adam and Eve were given this command to be fruitful and multiply, and they did. And, but as they were fruitful and multiplied, um, as their children grew, uh, violence and sin and evil grew as well. Uh, it starts maybe small, uh, Cain killing e- Abel, um, but as that, as that cycle of uh, violence and brokenness moves on, it, it gets worse and worse and worse. And we saw in, in, in the flood story that, that people were so fruitful and multiplying in, in a bad way uh, that the whole world was covered with, with people who were unfaithful and evil, except for Noah, right? And he, he uh, Lord found him pleasing and told him to build an ark and uh, we looked at that story a couple of weeks ago to gather up all these animals and, and it would be through Noah who uh, the world would again be able to be told to go and be fruitful and multiply. Uh, we, we said though that, 
um, they got off the ark and uh, God made a promise saying that he was never going to destroy the world again through, uh, through water and gave us the sign of the rainbow. And that sign was always, it's not necessarily for us, it's for God to remember God's faithfulness and love for creation even when it gets broken and bad. Well, last week, um, things continued to go on and Noah and his family are also given this command to go be fruitful and multiply. And uh, the next story is the story of Babel. We talked about that last week and we said they were fruitful and multiply, but they all stayed in one place. Part of the, the command to be fruitful and multiply was to spread around the face of the earth. Uh, not necessarily just fruitful and multiplying and having kids, but they, these people who are created in the image of God were meant to, to be fruitful and multiply and reproduce the godly people that they are supposed to be, the, to, to multiply the image of God in and around them, if that makes sense. We kind of used it metaphorically as a way of, of spreading the good news and the grace of God, Jesus Christ. And we said that's part of what our mandate is, is the Spirit works with us and in us, that we are, we are called to be fruitful and multiply. And that means that we not just have large families, um, but that we help the world rediscover that they were made in the image of God. That as creatures, beloved creatures made in the image of God, that God loves them so very much and that, that the lives which they have that may in fact be uh, broken and painful uh, can be forgiven and restored and repaired. And that's the mandate of the church. Uh, a part of what happens at Babel is they, they are scattered after they, their language is confused. And, and so our, our mandate always is as we gather in this particular place to worship and to learn, that is always for the purpose of sending us out into our community to be fruitful and multiply. Uh, we do that by, by living grace-filled uh, and loving kinds of lives where our primary question that we filter our behaviors through is, does this help me love God and does this help me love my neighbor? Uh, we said that's the, the purpose of the church and, and that's where we are called to be as well. Well, um, today's story marks a very different turn in the book of Genesis. We go from kind of general stories about the beginning and the history of the world to a very specific narrative that will follow all the way through the Old Testament and into the New Testament. It is the story of, of God's calling of one particular family. Uh, one particular family who God will use to be fruitful and multiply and he will bless the entire world through it. But we've seen that, that uh, the, the flood and the, uh, the reset that happened there didn't stop all the brokenness that, that was existing in the world. Uh, and we get to Abraham, Abram and Sarah as they are in this passage. I will probably refer to them as Abraham and Sarah, although their name won't change just yet. But it's tough enough for me to keep people's names in mind as it is, as you just witnessed. Um, so Abraham and Sarah, and, and God calls to them and says, I want you to, to leave your father's house and I want you to go to a place where I will show you how to, where to go. Um, but chapter 11, right before this, kind of casually reminds us of the place where Abraham and Sarah begin. And it is a place of barrenness. Abraham and Sarah are at least 75 years old at this particular point, and they are unable to have children. This will be a theme that kind of flows all throughout the Old Testament. And I, I want us to, to look at that theme 
uh, a little more metaphorically as well. Um, the brokenness of the world leads to, to barrenness. Now, I, I, w- I will say this. If, if you have ever struggled with infertility or known somebody that does, I'm not talking about that. I'm not, I'm not talking about individuals. You didn't do anything for, and that God struck you to be infertile, if, th- if that's any of your stories. But I think more generally, part of the story we are seeing is when we try to make the world into what we think it should be, when we try to shape our own stories and, and craft our own uh, ways of living apart from the calling of God to be, to be the people of God in the world, that it ultimately leads to a place of barrenness, uh, that we are empty and unable to be fruitful and multiply in the fullest sense of that word. Uh, that when we seek our own advantage, it leads us to, to be unable to fulfill God's purposes in the world. And, and this, is, this is really, really important. This is where Abraham and Sarah begin, but it's where God's story begins. And I think, I think it has an important, uh, it has an important part to play in our calling as people and as individuals and as a church. Uh, that's people who are 75 years old, now and then, who have not had children, cannot imagine the possibility of new life coming from them as a, you know, as a biological fact. Uh, a, a couple chapters later, Sarah, when God is reaffirming his promise to them to, to create a nation out of them, Sarah will laugh in the face of God saying, uh, yeah, right. Am I, I'm, I'm like, by the time I'm almost 100, will I indeed have the pleasure of bearing a child? And, uh, uh, but I think, I think, in this particular point, at the very beginning of this specific story about a specific people who are called to be a specific kind of people in the world, that it starts with barrenness partly to show that the power of God within our world is greater than anything that can stop us. Because if, if you were barren in Israel's world, uh, of, of, in that time, uh, it was like the biggest shame. Because you, you died out. And you died to, obscure, uh, to obscurity. And nobody would remember you. Uh, that's why Israel has some of the laws it does um, regarding dead husbands and wives. But it, 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 is, a, it is a promise. Uh, it is an example of the power of God to work in places that we think are ultimately and forever death-filled. Um, I'm always reminded of this, uh, this particular passage, and it's from Romans 4. And Paul is talking about, it didn't go. There we go. Uh, Paul's talking about, about God. He says, this is the God who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. This is a, a brand new world of possibilities. And, and all too often, we are, we are stuck being unable to imagine a future that is different than the one of the brokenness and destruction we are currently living. Well, um, we'll go. This, uh, Sam, you might have to do this. It's not too many of them. Uh, the passage starts out, I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name 
great so that you will be a blessing. God comes to, to Abraham and he's saying, I'm going to give you, uh, you're going to be a great nation and I'm going to make you a blessing. Now, uh, this whole trajectory of this story is so that the people of God can be a blessing to the entire world. One of the things I love about reading the Bible as a giant narrative from beginning to end is the way, uh, the way these things kind of follow in line, the, the themes that spread between them. And we get to Jesus, and what is Jesus other than, other than a miracle of God's imagination in a dark and broken place that, it, that becomes ultimately a blessing to the entire world. Uh, that even back, even back here, with two old people who are unable to have children, God is at work moving, moving people, moving creation to be what it was created to be, to be whole and right, and for us to be able to, to live fully into what it means to be created in the image of God as people who love in the same way that God has loved us. Uh, I got ahead of myself in my notes here. Uh, this time, though, that God isn't creating the universe, right? Like, th- this is the power that's at work here. Uh, power of God creating the universe, but, but it's not so much that. It's, it's the God of creating the possibility of, of new life. Uh, where there wasn't the possibility of some. Now we could look at this story a little bit more, and there's lots of things we could, we could pull out here, but, but, I, but I want us to focus too on, on a kind of a second thing. Not only is, is God creating new life in places where there wasn't before, uh, but that it is not just a one-sided conversation. That even, say, even though God says, I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curse you, I will curse you, and I will bless the whole world through you, um, God's acting in this way. It's God's initiative to, to bring about uh, his plan of salvation for everyone that it ultimately requires a response. If Abraham does not do what God has called him to do, it doesn't mean that, that God's plan will be, uh, you know, undone. Uh, but it, it also points to the to the way in which God is calling us to participate in his plan in the world. Uh, That God can take our broken, barren lives. And God does promise uh, to make us a blessing to the entire world Uh, that may not look like riches and power and fame, but I think it does look like being agents of love and mercy and grace in our world. Um, Abraham responds. What, what I saw, find so great about this is that God says, I will, you are to go to a place where I will show you. <laughs> like, Abraham doesn't know where he's going. Uh, but, but in this faith, that is able to imagine a future that is different than the current one of barrenness. Abraham begins to move and he goes. Now I would like to say that at this particular point, 
Abraham followed God perfectly. And, and if, if we are studying the Old Testament at all, uh, following God perfectly rarely, rarely happens. That, that God's people, beginning with Abraham, make mistakes all over the place. They take little detours, and they go places they shouldn't. And yet God, who is the God of faithfulness and steadfast love, always calls them back to continued participation in God's work of salvation in the world. I, I think when we, when we think about this for us, um, <clears throat> that this passage does a couple of things. One, it forces us to look around us and to name the barren brokenness around us. I think we don't want to do that. I think we have a natural bent towards not recognizing the things that are broken in us. Uh, maybe, maybe it's easy to see when, when people get sick and all of that, but, but maybe internally we don't, we don't necessarily take the time to look and see how it is that my actions continue to bring brokenness to other people. I had a conversation this week uh, with someone and uh, I was just, I was aware in a way that I hadn't been before of how some of the decisions that I made uh, brought about hurt and pain to other people unintentionally. I, I, think, I think maybe that's one of the most important things we can do, that we can we can sit, and it took a conversation with someone else for this to be apparent to me, so listen to your friends when they're telling you you're a jerk. I mean, within reason, right? But, but I think we, we have to sit and we have to examine that. And, and I think, too, this doesn't just count for us as individuals. I think as a church, maybe we have to sit and examine how maybe even unintentionally our behaviors have caused hurt and pain to others. I know, the church never hurts anybody. I think it, it calls us to name the brokenness and the barrenness in the world. To repent and confess. And then it calls us to open our hearts and our minds to a fresh imagination. Uh, I, I'm not saying like unicorns and ponies. I, I, I'm thinking being able to imagine uh, the world differently than it is. I, I, I will confess, I look at our country and, and politics and conversations between churches and all of these things, and it's really, really easy for me to get, like, depressed. To be like, I don't know where we go from here except down. <laughs> have a hard time imagining that in the midst of just all the yelling and the screaming, the, the, the hatred, the fear, that God might be able to work to bring about life where there was not life before. Uh, that somehow God might be able to work not just in our, in our country, but in our communities, that, that people might be healed and reconciled that we might be able to confess together the goodness and grace of God. I am, I am not necessarily a naturally 
glass half filled kind of guy. Uh, I don't know if you've ever heard of the Enneagram. Uh, if you had, it's like nine numbers and it's really about kind of, all these things are helpful guides. I don't like put a whole bunch of my stock in all of these. Uh, but this one I, I, I like maybe more than some of the other ones. Uh, and each number is a, is a different kind of, well, neuroses anyway. Uh, and, and I'm a six, and we're most plentiful in the world. Uh, and, and sixes are, are often really, really afraid. Really afraid that, that the, well, just that everything bad will be happen, was gonna happen. Uh, it's why I pack seven pairs of underwear for a three-night stay. That's, that's just part of my personality. And, and I, think, I, I think that I have, I don't know, it, I could go to a really, really, really dark place all the time about everything that happens in the world. But somehow, through the grace of God, I have been able to, to cultivate uh, something in me that, that is more hopeful. That instead of always being afraid of the possibilities of, of failures and betrayals of, of arguments and the worst possible case scenarios, that, that I am hopeful that the, that the conflict and the angst in our world does not have to be how it continues to be. But that the God who calls Abraham and Sarah uh, in barrenness, the God who, who brings life from nothingness, is at work in us even here and now. And we can, we can ask and hope uh, that God will expand our imagination. Uh, that when we are confronted with all of the things that are wrong, we might not say, ah, well, yeah. But we might confidently look at each other and say, God is at work here. I can't see it necessarily. God has promised, God has promised that through his people we will be a blessing to the world. Uh, that we can look at e each other as brothers and sisters in Christ in our church particularly and we might say, ah, oh, the future, the future is open. The future is right there. It is full with the possibility of the power of God's spirit working in us, transforming us, helping us to be fruitful and to multiply in the best kinds of ways. Sam, could you go to the benediction slide? For me, this is why, we, why, we, why I say this benediction for us each week, especially that last paragraph. So this is from Ephesians, it's, it's Paul. It's a confession. Now to him who by the power at work within us is able to accomplish abundantly far more than all we could ask or imagine. That to be followers of Christ is to place ourselves in the powerful hands of God who will be able to accomplish through us
things that we cannot yet imagine. It is my hope and my prayer that this is who we are, not just as individuals or as families, but that this is who we are as the people of God. A hopeful, imaginative, faithful, patient. Abraham and Sarah had to be really, 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 really patient. Life-giving bunch of people. I hope that you want to believe that too. A uh, uh, mentor of mine uh, would always say something like, um, if you can't, if you can't, uh, if you can't believe, <laughs> at least begin to ask God to help you to believe. I, I think that's where a lot of us are. I don't know if we believe that things will be better, that God is actually at work, that God can use us, that the future is bright and hopeful. If you can't believe that, at least ask that God might help you to believe that. Because this is, this is what God is calling us to. This is the kind of people that God is calling us to become. We're gonna receive the Lord's Supper here in a minute. And uh, I think if there is ever something that reminds us of the possibility of the unimaginable, it might be this meal. For Jesus and his disciples, uh, well, for his disciples anyway, for the Jewish nation to be the Messiah did never, ever, ever, ever include being crucified and, and killed, right? In Israel's hope and mind, the Messiah is someone who is going to come and bring and save them in very political and concrete kinds of ways that, that Israel would be once again the, the mighty nation that it was maybe in David's day. Uh, that they looked at Jesus as the Messiah who was crucified and say, no, that's, that's not possible. And yet out of the broken and barrenness of the cross. God brings forth new life, the possibility of redemption and restoration for everyone. Thank you for listening to our Sunday morning worship service. For more information about the Heartland Church of the Nazarene, please visit TakeItToTheHeart.com.